0: Hey, everyone, you are listening to another episode of the Divergent Conversations podcast. Megan and I are really thankful for all of you listening, subscribing, downloading and sharing in 2023. We are re-releasing some of our favorite episodes because we both need a break and we want you to be able to get all of the information that you can out of these episodes. Six of our favorites for sure. We think that if you haven't listened already, they're a great introduction to the podcast. If you have already, hopefully there's some takeaways that you come away with this time that you didn't the first time around. We will be back in six weeks for another round of episodes and seasons. We have some great interviews lined up. We've had some incredible people scheduled already, including Dana Abraham, Tiffany Hammond, and so many more people. So really appreciate everyone listening. Make sure to like, download, subscribe, and share on every single Friday on all major platforms and YouTube. Hey, everyone. You are listening to the Divergent Conversations podcast. We are two neurodivergent mental health professionals in a neurotypical world. I'm Patrick Cassell.
1: And I'm Dr. Neff.
0: And during these episodes, we do talk about sensitive subjects, mental health, and there are some conversations that can certainly feel a bit overwhelming. So we do just want to use that disclosure and disclaimer before jumping in, and thanks for listening.
1: As autistic ADHD business owners, Patrick and I both understand the importance of promotion and doing it in a way that feels authentic and genuine. If you are a neurodivergent business owner and you would like to place your services or products in front of a neurodivergent audience, we are now opening up our podcast for sponsorships and we're providing a 10% discount code for neurodivergent business owners. So, if you are an autistic or ADHD business owner and you'd like to get in front of our audience, reach out to Divergent Conversations podcast at gmail.com for more information. Well, Mel, I was so excited when you reached out to me over email. Um Patrick and I have been talking about how we just keep getting sick. Um I've been dealing with long COVID. And we've been saying probably for the last four weeks, we've got to do an episode on health. So you're an autistic physician. This is your like specialty. I'm so excited you're here. Um, Before we started recording, I was talking about like, oh, we don't do bios, which I actually love. It feels more organic, but it does put a little bit more pressure on you to explain to the audience who you are and give us context. Um, So can I hand it over to you to give us some context of who you are, why this conversation is important to you around autism and health.
2: Definitely, and thank you so much for having me. Um, So yes, I am an autistic physician. Um, I am the founder and executive director of a nonprofit in Vermont called All Brains Belong. Um, We provide neurodiversity affirming medical care in addition to social connection opportunities for kids and adults plus community education. Um, and, uh, in my medical practice, um, I am providing medical care, both primary care and additional support for the conditions that we'll talk about today, um, for kids and adults. And so, um, not, not all of my, uh, patients are, uh, neurodivergent, um, but most, most are. And the majority of my autistic and ADHD adult patients, um, suffer from a constellation of related medical conditions, um, and uh, the problem is that not only do many medical providers not know that these conditions are related, the the standard management of some parts of this constellation, and in my practice, we would really call it all the things because mostly all the people here have all the things. <laughs> um, so I love
1: that all the things. That's what we have.
2: Yeah. So the, the standard management of some parts of all the things, um, make the other parts of all the things worse. It's like a conf- conflicting, it's like internal conflicting access needs.
1: Absolutely. I love how you unpack that. I, a lot of the folks I work with and myself included, will talk about that of like, well, I could do this medication for this diagnosis, but then this other diagnosis I have is going to be negatively impacted by that treatment so it's like this wacky mole of health conditions. Um, yes. So s- having a provider who can do the zoom out, which Western medicine is not historically great at, the like zoom out, let's look at this this whole body all and how it's integrated. Um, I get the sense you're absolutely doing that. I love the language of constellation. I feel like that is a really integrative way of thinking about it. Can you, I'm, I'm curious what you would say are some of the like, Big planets in the constellation. Also, I love how we're like co-creating a metaphor here. As we, I love this.
2: Yes, I would like. Yes. So, um, uh, I've I've been thinking about these quote planets as like buckets. So this constellation includes something in the allergy immunology bucket. Something in the connective mm. tissue bucket, something in the gastrointestinal bucket, something in the that's sleep it, bucket. That's, yeah, great, right, right. Yeah. Um and uh, something in the nervous system or neuropsychiatric bucket, something in the metabolic or vitamin absorption bucket, and something in the dental face and jaw bucket. And oh, that's um, a new one. I didn't know about yeah, that. Yeah. And so, um, one of, one of the, the, the the things about this is that um, there, many people go, often decades, with like maybe some like prodromal, mild symptoms. And then because these are all neuroimmune conditions, meaning they impact the nervous system and the immune system, and these systems crosstalk via mast cells, which we can talk more about, um, anytime the neuroimmune systems get triggered by something whether that be infection like COVID, for example, um, or surgery or a concussion or like, you know, uh, trauma, you know, physical, emotional trauma, any kind of trauma like these or, or, or pregnancy or menopause or like just any trigger to the neuroimmune systems, these conditions can get worse. And for many people, they can get a lot worse.
1: So, um, not that I'm going to treat this like a console, but this feels like a console question. So for me, I had two very complicated pregnancies as well as two pregnancy losses. So pregnancy, that whole season of life was difficult for me, but both both my two labors complicated, ended in C-sections. My recovery to C-sections was brutal. Um, and I always attributed that to the fact that I'd had a 36-hour labor and infection, uterine infections, but based on what you're saying about surgery, is it possible that my difficult my difficulty coping post-C-section was actually related to organic things going on related to being autistic? That is certainly possible. And in my practice, we see
2: surgery um both from a there's all these different aspects of surgery that's like a, you know, a whole other podcast episode maybe but like when we think about you know um, aspects of connective tissue for example many autistic ADHD people um have a condition called hypermobile ehlers danlos syndrome um, yes. uh, so like wound healing from a connective tissue standpoint like we just maybe don't heal well um and then like again the uh, the autonomic nervous system aspects of you know maybe maybe there's an impact in like blood flow and maybe there's an impact in like blood pressure and heart rate and like all these things um yeah all of it it's all related like i think that the the take home point um is that everything's connected to everything and i think patients sure. know that um, it's it's the it's the medical system that's so like fragmented and siloed with like the body parts all treated as separate entities. But like we know everything's connected to everything. And you know I love I love Megan you talking about zooming out. I mean what's kind of like you know like on Google Maps when you're so zoomed in mm-hmm. you don't even know what continent you're on. Like that's what goes yeah. on in healthcare.
0: Yeah, I think this is such an important topic because so many medical professionals don't look at it in that perspective or are not neurodivergent affirming in general. And that goes to impact everything in terms of even like seeking out treatment, seeking out support, being comfortable, disclosing your own autistic diagnoses sometimes can feel really challenging and triggering as well. I was telling Megan, like, I'm 36 years old. I can remember being sick all my life like getting mono at super early ages and like second and third grade, being out of school a lot. Um, And now my, my career has taken me to a place where I travel pretty often and I'm sick constantly, whether it's upon arrival or when it's upon landing and coming home. And the immune system just feels like it can never catch up. And I just started to think about how much association there was between the way an autistic nervous system and body heals and recovers and also responds to stimuli and and just responds to um, immunity in general. And it was just, it's just fascinating to start thinking about it from this lens. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. And um, a, a good search term um, is myalgic encephalitis, chronic fatigue syndrome, and ME-CFS. So ME-CFS is this um, really complicated neuroimmune condition um that impacts multiple organ systems it's part of the it's part of the cluster it's not its own thing it's part of it um and so you know and, and many many people for example um think about long covid as being MECFS triggered by covid and the thing about MECFS that's really important um and, and, and you know patients with MECFS, um which is which is a, like for, for many people it's tr- triggered by illness you know doesn't have to be COVID. it could have been like you know uh Epstein-Barr virus, which is the virus causes mono, like you're saying, you know, Lyme, there's like all these things that kick off ME-CFS. And um, what we know is that one of the common hallmarks of ME-CFS is something called post-exertional malaise, PEM. And PEM is the consequence of um, the, the, like you just said, the 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 body doing too much. So you tell me this story of every time you go do something too much, um, your neuroimmune system responds, and what happens is if you push through post exertional malaise, it actually prolongs recovery. And so, and this can be you know physically pushing through, this can be emotionally pushing through, cognitively pushing through. And like you think about it, like that is daily life for many neurodivergent people mm-hmm. to survive in this world that is not built for us.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And Megan I and I talk about that constantly about um, the fact that we're both very privileged to work from home, to work for ourselves, to have mm-hmm. a lot of privilege in terms of employment. And I, I think about it like I'm intentionally placing myself in situations that are going to make me feel this way. But a lot of people don't have the um, the choice and have to go to work from a nine to five or have to show up in large communities of people. And And just thinking about how, much impact that has on both the body, the immune system, Mm -hmm. and the nervous system and not just feeling pretty constant and feeling like there's not a lot of escape from that in a lot of ways either in terms of recovery. Mm -hmm. Yes.
2: Yes. And like when you when you when you think about like like zooming way out when viewed through an equity lens of like who gets to show up in society, and so you have these layers that that we might talk about about like a lack of neuro inclusion, but like y- if you don't have the autonomy the, like the the privilege of autonomy over like the safety of the air you breathe or like whether you in fact um are forced because as a survival requirement to put yourself in situations that Harm your health,
1: mm-hmm. and there's
2: so many layers of that.
1: Cool. Well, and then I think what really complicates it, you know, when I hear you talk about MACFS or some of these other conditions, these are not conditions that are well recognized by most doctors, and so the experience. And then especially if you're a high masking autistic or ADHD person, the experience of chronic invalidation from the medical community that a lot of us experience of like. There's something wrong with me. I'm tired. Like I remember when I was at the height of my fatigue. I I had gone to a naturopath who was like, your adrenals are you're like you're producing cortisol of an 80-year-old woman. And I was, I was 31. Um, and I went to my Western doctor and I, I showed her these like hormone tests, totally dismissed. And then she's like, Well, you seem kind of emotional, because I was really anxious talking to a medical provider. How about we start you on an antidepressant? hashtag healthcare right like this is this is what goes on yeah so that that like chronic diffuse just feeling of unwell paired with chronic invalidation is just um i'm trying not to swear but like i i will i will swear here it is a mind fuck yep 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 amen to that so, you know, it's
2: really hard. And um, I mean, and if I can I, think I, I can send you uh, a, a recording from uh, an education, a free education, all that my organization uh, last month about the healthcare system and like everything you just said. And so we had a we had a panel of clinicians, medical medical yes. clinicians um, talking about like the system. So a lot of times it's not the individual healthcare provider <laughs> who's like setting out to like thwart and invalidate the patients. It's the system is thwarting and invalidating mm-hmm. the clinicians, which like yeah. interferes with full access to one's cortex to like perspective taken, you know, <laughs> what's the consequence of saying that thing right now to that person? Like, it's just, it's, it's everything.
1: I love that, Mel, because I think so I think an unfair <laughs> burden gets placed on the providers and the clinicians. And people don't often realize I so I used to work in Muskings. People don't often realize like these medical providers are so booked in their days. And like it is like the system, like there's a reason so many medical providers are experiencing burnout. Moral injury is is so elevated in the medical community. So this is not like medical providers. Being um, you know, terrible humans this is a, a much like the context around this is so much bigger and i appreciate that you bring that in
2: yeah yeah like you know it's uh you know a mm-hmm. healthcare
1: system as the villain not the individual people within right right they've got 20 minutes with you like 20 patients that day and yeah
0: and if we're being honest most of the medical model is set up to just treat symptoms right like we're treating symptomology we're saying, okay, this is what you're explaining and experiencing. This is how we fix it and alleviate it. And for autistic or ADHD or any neurodivergent human, it's so much more complicated than just saying, oh, Megan's emotional right now. Let's start an antidepressant. Like that That's just a quick band-aid fix that does not actually zoom out, as we're saying, and take into consideration everything that's going on behind the scenes. But if you don't have time to take into consideration everything that's going on behind the scenes, it's it's a double-edged sword. It's like, where do you fix the, the, the problem and how do you alleviate that? I was telling Megan yesterday, I have a, a healthcare collective that I'm a part of here, Asheville. And my PCP, I think is is quite open minded and, and, and really wants to be holistic and integrative and perspective. I sent her, Megan, and my uh, episode on neurodivergence and sleep because we were talking about feeling dismissed when you go in and talk about sleep. And the issue is like, have you tried mindfulness? Have you tried relaxation techniques? Have you tried this? Have you tried this? And we're like, yes, we're fucking autistic. Like, I've researched everything under the sun that could help me sleep more than two hours a night. I promise you. Anyway, Mm -hmm. she messaged me yesterday and was like, I listened to your episode. I can't believe how dismissive I came across. I'm so sorry for that. And can you help me navigate how we can better understand how to help you sleep and rest? And I thought that was so unbelievably validating. And I was like, okay, I can I could see this person and feel really comfortable here.
2: I mean this person cued safety right there. Like, yep. oh, I just got chills like that. <laughs> yeah, right. There's there are people who get it and can come to get it. Um, yeah. So, um, and I don't, I don't know if, if this will air or when this will air or whatever, but um, uh, All Brains Belong has for the past year, we've been creating a free resource um, both for patients and for medical providers, two different versions about this picture of all the things to just like be available of like, here's a, you know, what's going on. Here are some things that might help um, because, and, and, and it has been about really bridging the double empathy problem where, you know, when we think about, um, you know, the questions or even the style, the way of clinical interviewing that medical providers are trained in, like does not work for all brains, um, right? So so peop- uh, medical providers are often not getting the information because they're not able to elicit the information. Like the patients will tell you what's wrong if you can like cue safety and allow people to have access to their own cortex to communicate in their own way. And, um, we did focus groups of autistic adults, um, who, about like the words they use to describe their experiences. And so that's all like built in, built into the tool. And so like when it's, when it's out, it'll be, it'll be out like maybe in like three, three weeks. Um, you know, I can send it along.
1: That's amazing. That's just like one of the top requests I get is, can I have like a one page handout to help me advocate with my medical providers? I'm so glad you've created that or are creating that. Um, I'll, we'll absolutely link that because I think that'd be a really helpful resource. Um, I, I like how you keep going back to queuing safety. I, um, I had a medical appointment last week and it's interesting. I'm not emotional. I've talked about that on this podcast. The one place I cry is in medical offices. I like, and it, like, it's not intense, but it's like, I'll, I'll say something vulnerable. And I think it's because I'm so prepared and scared about being misunderstood that it is, it is really like the one place I cry.
2: Yeah, no, that I, that resonates with me a lot. Um, I, in general, don't seek a lot of healthcare for my all the things I have. All the things very also, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, very health care avoidant. right? Exactly. exactly. Um, but, so, yeah, but that's yes, like your nervous system is like it's 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 a trauma response, right? It's just you know you're waiting
1: well, for the next the next hit. Yeah.
0: Well, Megan and I have also talked about you know as mental health professionals how often autistic adults were. Adolescents, young adults will come into a therapy room and say, "Hey, I'm autistic," and the therapists will then say, "I don't, I don't work with autistic people. This is not my area of expertise," and refer the person out the door. And how invalidating and dismissive that is. So if we take that in the mental health realm and then go into the medical world, there's almost this additional layer of fearfulness and vigilance around disclosure and feeling safe and feeling like you have to prepare to be dismissed or misunderstood where you already feel dismissed and misunderstood in most areas of your life. So it really does complicate seeking out treatment and support. And I think myself, like talking about just chronic health conditions, people in my life, you know, especially like family members, or friend groups are probably like, this is all um, hypochondria. Like, this is like, you're sick all the time. There's always an issue here. Like there's always something going on and that can feel really invalidating and, and shame inducing as well to constantly yes. feel like, I always feel this way. And I wonder what it would feel like to have a week or two where you're like in optimal health as a 35 to 36 year old human being.
1: You know, one thing I've said my whole life, pre-autism discovery um, was, I just wish I could have a day in someone else's body. I just want to experience. And it's, I think it's because it's like, I don't feel like what I'm feeling is what other people are describing, but I don't know that because I only have my subjectivity. So that has been my fantasy since I was a child. Can I just experience someone else's body for 24 hours?
2: Yeah. So what what, what our model at All brings Belong is that connection is the path to health. So we do a lot of group medical appointments, for example. So not only do we have this piece of like, I learned for the first time that I'm autistic and ADHD, but I'm also like, I have this thing and it's called all the things. And the thing you've been saying was happening, it has been happening. And guess what? There's like a ton of other people who are experiencing this also. And you come together and you learn together and you learn how to adapt the environment and the routines you know, to meet your access needs and, you know, be promoting neuroimmune health.
1: I love that. I love that, this community of all the things. Okay, I'm going to ask a question. And if you're like, no, I just don't want to go there. Like, just, okay, <laughs> tell me. Um, I noticed the first few years or the first year of entering autism advocacy space, I was really cautious of talking about anything related to gut health, nutrition, because for so long, the message was, if you cure your gut, you will cure autism. And so I wanted to steer so clear from any of those reductionistic stories of autism, of this health thing, or like if you cure your nervous system, you cure autism. I've heard that too. How so that nuance of autistic people are more vulnerable to a ton of health conditions and supporting it supports our well-being. And no, we're not trying to cure autism. Um that sort of middle line of here are some things you can do to support yourself. Like, do you do you ever experience tension around that? Or, yeah, no, it's interesting. Um,
2: I I like it's like monotropism. I like forgot to experience tension around that because I like experience tension by so many other things. So I would say that um, uh, it's it's not that these neuroimmune conditions. Like I read this book about like some component of all the things that was talking about you know, it had, it had like a curative narrative and it was gross. And like, anyway, whatever, I won't even like name the book, but, um, it, it is worth like throwing that narrative out. Like I am autistic. Um, I have always been autistic. I always will be autistic. And in fact, it is the fact that I am autistic that allows me to zoom out and see the whole pattern. Cause that's like what my brain does. Right. So it's, it's that, um, these patterns are more common because of the way that we're wired and, um, Most of the environment is unsafe. It's the environment that's unsafe. Um, and so that is why we're going to have a dysregulated autonomic nervous system. We're going to have a dysregulated immune system. We're going to have mast cells, which are an immune cell, a type of immune cell that like crosstalks between the the nervous system and the immune system and the soft tissue. There's mast cell receptors on every organ system. Like, so, so, um, that's a, it's a good search term, um, because that like managing your mast cells is like, part of, part of how you support this, this cluster. And it's not because we're trying to like not be autistic anymore. We're trying to like not be in pain and we're trying to not have a blood pressure plummeting. We're trying to not have, you know, trouble breathing. We're trying to not have a GI tract that's completely flipping its lid
1: all the time when we eat like that. So I would just name. Yes. I love that. And then this is where also like mental health, right? So many of the things you just named, yeah, are going to cause mental health issues, right? A dysregulated nervous system, fight, flight anxiety. So for therapists like Patrick and I, you know, we aren't typically trained to look for like nervous system dysregulation as the cause. So we'll go straight to like, here's some emotion regulation strategies. Not that those don't have an impact on nervous system. A lot of emotion regulation strategies are down regulation strategies. But I find adding an element of nervous system work in therapy for autistic people is is so important? Could add to that
2: because, like, what what you're both bringing to the community is so critical. Um, be, because you know, not only do we have patients who are seeking mental health support from like neuronormative therapists that are like you know pointing out their irrational thoughts or something, um, but but also we bring this, this this layer now in the context of all the things that. Not only is emotional dysregulation, you know, equal, nervous system dysregulation actually making the mast cells more pissed off actually impacting the immune system. But the other way goes goes too. So if you have, you know, for example, where I am in Montclair, Vermont, there was just really devastating floods. So like everything is wet and there's all kinds of crap in the flood water. And so, you know, a lot of people's mast cells are flaring. And so what they may feel in their bodies may not be, you know, I feel my mast cells. Like they just feel terrible. They don't know what kind of terrible they feel because it's not like one or the other. It's everything because everything's connected.
1: Okay, so my internal clock just went off around how long we've been talking. And one thing I'm trying to be mindful of is as much as we talk about some of the hardships and the challenges we experience around navigating healthcare, I also want to have some words of encouragement or empowerment or just really practical advice that people can take away. Um, So I'm curious kind of what do you recommend to people if they're listening to this and they're like, Oh my goodness, I think maybe I've got all of the things, but I didn't realize it. Like what's next steps for them, especially if, if they're struggling to navigate with their medical team, things like that. Like where do you start with people? What are some of your recommendations? I think like first step is to figure out that
2: this cluster or this constellation of related medical conditions may apply to you. And You know, first off, I just I need I need to say the disclaimer that of course this is this is like general education, this is not medical advice, but like in general, what people find helpful is first step to recognize that this pattern applies to them and then to learn about the pattern, because a lot of what we talked about earlier, where some parts of the management of all the things make the other parts worse a lot of times people know that they know it about themselves and there's also a ton of information um out there amongst the neurodivergent community they may not know it; they they may not like you know know that all these conditions are connected or but a lot of people do because they feel it in their own bodies and there's a ton of information and i think what, what what we've tried to do at all breeds belong is like synthesize all that information and put it in one place Um, But um, I think, I think figuring out the things that make you feel better, that don't make you feel worse, like stopping the things and working with your, you know, your personal medical provider to like figure out what are the things that I'm doing that might be making this thing worse, eliminating those things that are maybe making you worse, um, you know, is the first step, I think. And a lot of times, especially, you know, I I would say like, if if you're going to pick like one search term, I would read about mast cell activation syndrome, MCAS, because if you can understand mast cells, this is a cornerstone of this constellation.
1: So I actually went on a rabbit trail now earlier this year. And I was like, oh, maybe this is the missing thing. I even like took a one hour course on it. And I, I would like in the course, the provider recommended a ton of vitamins, but I, I still, I walked away from the course and I was like, I don't actually know how to implement this or start. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think like figuring
2: out what your triggers are is the most important thing. And so like, I'll give a personal example. Sometimes when I do podcast interviews, I shut off my air purifier because it makes a noise. Um, and then I feel terrible afterwards. And then I'm like, huh, I want to make, I think okay, it t- it took like the like sixth or seventh time over the past year. And I'm like, really, it's every podcast interview? What is that? I'm not stressed out. Like, i shut the freaking air purifier. Sure, there's something in the air that my mast cells are responding to. So like, you have to be you like, like zooming out. You have to like zoom out on your day, on your week, on your month and like identify these things. There's no test. Like there's going to be no test that says, you know, um, my mast cells are pissed off by something in my office. Like, we're not going to have that. It's, it's, it's like being a detective in your own life. Or, um, I would, I've, I've never had a problem with dairy, but after I had COVID, I can't eat dairy anymore. Um, I, and it took me like a few weeks even to be like, why do I feel so terrible? And I, I realized that that's what it was. And so, yes, um, you know, there are a variety of medications and supplements that can be helpful and like, you know, life altering for many people in the context of all the things. Um, But trigger elimination is really important.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that idea of become a detective in your life.
0: My mind immediately goes like to the cynical place, though, like when it's all the things and then you're like, I have to identify all of the triggers and all of the things. It feels very overwhelming. So I think for our audience, like one thing at a time, you know, try really hard to start small.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So that's a good, good example about- of having like major throat surgery this year and still being impacted by it.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sorry to hear that. Um, and and possibly related to all the things, right? So, So, yeah. Um, the other thing is, Patrick, you brought up sleep a little while ago. That is a critical starting piece as well. Um, when I listed the different buckets, or I, I like Megan's use of planets, um, you know, I, uh, one of the things I listed was face, teeth, jaw. So many of us, we have long faces. We have a, a, a you know, we have more of a, a an oval shaped face as opposed to a round face, right? Like the three of us, like look at our look at our long faces. Um and so we have um, therefore a narrower airway. Um, and if we also have hypermobile or standless, for example, we may have a high arched palate. Um, per palette there that like also is making the airway more narrow. And so there's like extent, I should have said this earlier. Um, each piece of all the things is known to be more common in autistic people. And some of which are known to be more common in ADHD, which of course are like, you know, almost superimposed Venn diagrams for Goldry. But but the, the idea being that, um, you know, these pieces are known by healthcare, but they're known as pieces, not as a, a whole entity. So like, yeah, you might say Um, Yes, I, you know, I know that obstructive sleep apnea, for example, is more common in autistic people because that is known. Um, And um, having, you know, obstructive sleep apnea is more common in people with long bases and high arched palates. That's known. Uh, Obstructive sleep apnea is more common in people with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. That's known. Put it together. Zoom way out. This is one thing. And a lot of us have sleep apnea, and so, you know, in, in my, in my medical practice, that is uh, a starting place for many, in many people is, 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 is identifying what's going on with sleep because it is so much bigger than like, the like, like the example you did Patrick of like, you know, um, are you, do you have a bedtime routine? Like this is neuroimmune,
1: right? So that is what I have to say about that
2: fixing your sleep is essential. And like, if you don't fix your sleep, it's very hard to get the rest of all the things better.
1: Yes. I talk about that a lot too. So same thing for mental health. It's like, well, if, if sleep's off the rails, let's start there. Um, okay. So now I'm super curious. Uh, One thing that I, I hear and know is also common among autistic people is our voices tend to be raspier or just have a different tone. Like both my kids have done speech pathology. Um, I know my I, I talk more from my throat. So I have kind of a raspy voice. Is that connected to the like high arch and what you were just describing about throat jaw stuff, or is that a different mechanism?
2: I, that's really interesting. I've never been asked that question before. That's a pattern. I certainly see a lot and that I personally experience. Um, and I wonder, I, 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 I would imagine, I'm just like speaking off the cup. I have no like literature to support what I'm about to say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. but I would like it's probably multiple things, right? So raspiness might be because there's like mucus on the vocal cords, because there's mass cell dysfunction. Um, and mm-hmm. so you know, the, like big, big, big allergic responses to things in the environment. So that might be playing a role of it. There's also like the like the dyspraxia um component yeah. of like ine- ineffective or inefficient motor plans of like when I speak. Um, you know, I'm using like all of my upper body at the same time. I'm turning all of it on because, like, that's how I learned to do it. So I keep doing it this way at almost 40 years old. Or, um, you know, if, 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 if I have, um, uh, you know, uh, hypermobile ehlers syndrome and, um, I'm working harder to hold myself upright, um, my diaphragm might get stuck. And I'm using my neck muscles to breathe. And so these muscles get really tight. And so that tension may be impacting, you know, vocal cord usage. Anyway, I, I, th- I would imagine it's like many, many things that are connected to all the things because everything's connected to everything. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
0: So it's blowing my mind. I'm like, I wonder if my Zenker's diverticula that I was diagnosed as on
1: my list. 5,
0: yeah. where Wait, most people are 65. It's, that's a whole conversation but, that we could go into, but it's the third issue that I have at 36 no. years old that I've had two surgeries for that impacts my vocal cords, that impacts everything. And it's just interesting to start conceptualizing it from this lens and right. it's the recognition of everything being so connected and yeah, potentially impact it.
2: Oh, that's related because it's 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 definitely related it's like on the list um Dang. is that connective tissue goes to the whole body and so if you like the connective tissue of your esophagus is extra stretchy then like the outpouching within the connective tissue like you push it there, same way that like um a, a lot of autistic people who struggle with like chronic constipation um, it's because the colon gets extra stretched out and then loses its squeeze. Uh, it's not. It's. It's. You know. There's a lot of like. I mean, there's a lot of ableism in healthcare, right? But, but you know, you know, uh, you know. Uh, of course, that autistic person is constipated because, like, look at their terrible diet or look at their inactivity. It's like, no, look at their connective tissue.
1: Hmm. So this, I'm having like a like both aha moment and kind of like an oh shit moment. Like, I I think I sometimes feed into reductionism, partly because my head just would, like, it would be too much to contain. But, like, I think I probably over-attribute a lot of autistic struggles to interoception issues and autistic burnout. I actually had this thought a few weeks ago when I was reading more on the research around autism and chronic fatigue of, like, Yes, burnout, but like also all of these, like all of the things that you're describing or even hearing that thing about the colon and constipation. I didn't know about this stretchy tissue aspect of it. So there's more than interoception struggles going into that. It's kind of overwhelming. It, it is overwhelming. So like, I wouldn't say that like, oh no, I like erred on the side of
2: saying things were attributable to interoception. Like there are also interoception differences, but also when you, when you're hypermobile, um, Cause for anyone, you don't get feedback. You don't get like proprioceptive feedback until you're at the end range of motion. And if you're like extra stretchy, you go past, you know, what someone else's end range of motion. So you don't feel your body. You don't get that proprioception until you've gone big movements. So like, you know, like when I, like, I, I, I don't, I don't never thought about this until, you know, I learned about all the things. Um, but, you know, I don't think I really feel my face. Unless I'm like smiling really, really big. Or like, yeah, I think I'm smiling, but I'm really not. And then people are like, why are you so upset? I'm like, I'm not. Anyway, that, all that, like that. Wait, so do people feel their off. face? I think it's people like feel that. their face. I think they like know whether, like what facial expression you're
1: making. And don't know, know. I don't We, don't think think know. Do. <laughs> we okay, have so many conversations, conversations on this. And you're listening to this. I'm like, I want people to comment if they feel their face. <laughs>
0: Yeah, when you when you see the reel for this video or for this episode, please comment if you can chill your face. We would we would like to know. This is this is part of our research.
1: Yeah. Well, it's the same thing with interoception. When I read about how interoception is measured, it's you you connect a person to a machine and ask them to detect how many heartbeats they've had and then how accurate they are. And I was like, Wait, what? People feel their heartbeat? Like, unless you're like sprinting. The, I mean, you well, like sprinting, but otherwise no.
2: So the thing is, what's really interesting is you could be, um, you know, less, you could feel like, I don't, I don't feel hungry until I'm like ferociously hangry and I can like no longer access food. Like, like, but, but I feel my heartbeat all the time. And I feel like, I feel all kinds of things all the time. Like, so it's not like I, 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 that, that was surprising to me to see how common that is that like people might have you know, an increased sensitivity to some types of interoception signals, but, but not to the others.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, the, and that, that difference of, and I think that's really important too, of like some interoception might be exaggerated, some might be under, and that it's really more about the differentiation that causes a struggle. Can you differentiate? Is it accurate reflection of what's objectively going on? Yeah. And like what you
2: explain to yourself. So for example, like in, in 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 my medical practice, when people learn about all the things and then something happens, they have a narrative to understand it. Um, so in that, to the extent that your mast cells are triggered by your autonomic nervous system being triggered. Like, so that's where this integration of um, you know, nervous system regulation strategies actually directly impacts the immune system. Part of that is like knowing what this is and not like, I mean, it's not that you don't worry that because like, it's still like uncomfortable and we need to have it not happen because it's impacting your quality of life. But we, 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 we don't like, you know, that like special narrative of like, I don't know what's wrong and no one knows what's wrong and they keep doing tests and they come back normal and there must be something really very dangerously wrong with me that triggers mast cells, triggers autonomic nervous system, therefore makes your symptoms worse.
1: I, I love that kind of tying in. And I did this a lot when I worked with chronic pain, not that it's all in your head, that's a terrible message, but that the story we end up telling ourselves about the pain signals will influence whether or not we get more pain signals or not. And I'm hearing that same as you talk about the narrative around your health conditions and what you're experiencing is going to actually influence your mast cells and influence your body's response. Because if your body thinks it's in danger, it's going gonna, it's gonna to say, hey, we need to go on high alert. Um, and that fight flight activation. So absolutely, not that it's all in our head, but that the story we tell ourselves about our experience will influence what's happening in our body. Just
2: from a nervous system regulation standpoint. How could it how could it not? It's just, yeah. you know, it it's part of like one of the yeah. strategies that one But the, the other thing that I would say is that like in in my medical practice you know, um, many people know that they're autistic and or ADHD. Many people come because they're wondering if they're autistic or ADHD, but many people come not having anything to do with that. They come because their needs were not met by the traditional healthcare system. And amongst that group, that group is much more likely to have all the things. And that group is much more likely to be autistic and or ADHD. So like it, 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 it goes both ways. And either way, when people just, judge, you know, I would say very similarly to for many people when they discover their neurodivergence, um, that organizing narrative, like you said, Megan, that organizing narrative is so, it, it can be like life alteringly helpful for many people. Um, so it is with all the things, like having a narrative to understand often like decades of your whole life of living in your body all through a single lens. That's the point. Mm-hmm.
0: So, I think that we could have a whole series with you, Mel, because this is so unbelievably informative and honestly enjoyable. Um, but I am always timekeeping for Megan's purposes. And we are getting close. So, I think that is a perfect way to wrap up with what you just said. And also, I think we're going to have, like, once we release this episode, so many people Googling can I see this practice in Montpelier, Vermont for healthcare? And it's unfortunate. I wish that we knew about more practices within our country who are doing things the way you are doing them. It's, it's really amazing, and I I appreciate you showing up for the community the way that you are.
2: Thank you, and thank like this. This is this has probably been my like my uh, most most enjoyable podcast experience. Like uh, this has been this has been wonderful.
0: I, I like hear that we are just going with the flow and seeing where it goes, and that's kind of been our routine since day one. And, that's what works for us and it's felt really really enjoyable so far
2: mm-hmm. that's awesome and i'll send you when our all the things um uh, resource is out it's it's almost it's almost out the flood was a was a setback but um it's we're still 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 on track we just have to do some because um, because we also wanted to be using universal design principles in presenting this information so we have text and we have graphics and we just have to record some videos and then we'll be ready to go
1: so, yeah, I did want to ask Mel kind of, so obviously if people are in Vermont, they can come to your practice, but I, when I was on your website, I was, I was. it felt like you were also providing at least education, but maybe not medical services to people outside of Vermont, but for people who might be interested in your work, like, are, are there ways that they can connect with you or connect yeah. with you? Center. Yeah,
2: definitely. So, so first off we do educational trainings. Like yes, yes. Most of the trainings that we do are for organizations of a wide variety of types, but, but, but we do have people who they are coming to learn about specific health topics. So it's an educational consult. So I do those. And so it's not medical advice. It's not prescribing medicines or making diagnoses. Um, but like, you know, if, if, if uh, um, we, we definitely have people who come and, and want to learn about all the things. So we, we definitely offer that. Um, and then we have free community programs. So um, uh, for oh. for adults, we have Brain Club. It's virtual. It's open to anyone, everywhere, and it's free. It's every, like, everybody globally. It's open to anyone. Globally, well, we have people oh, that can. But last week we had somebody from the UK and somebody from Australia. Anyway, so it's, it's open open to everybody, and it's like it's a it's it's a community education on everyday brain life. And we have like panelists and presenters and stuff, and um, it's it's really fun. And then for kids, also open to anyone, anywhere. Um, we have Kid Connections. It's a friend matching program. So like we connect kids based on their shared interests, like their shared monotropic foci. Um, and that uh, yeah, was a kid's idea. Was that We have a junior advisory board. So this kid, this nine-year-old, um, we're like, how do you make kids feel like they belong? You let us do what we love.
0: <laughs>
2: Holy crap. Yes. Yeah, so anyway, that's what Kid Connections is.
0: Where can people find this information for those that are like, oh my God, this sounds amazing. Where did I find that?
2: allbrainsbelong.org.
0: And all of this information will be in the show notes so that everyone has easy access and, and all of the links and all of the information that Mel provided today. And we really appreciate you coming on and making the time. This has been really enjoyable and wonderful, wonderful resource for the community.
2: Awesome. Thank you so much.
0: And to everyone listening to the Divergent Conversations podcast, new episodes are out every single Friday on all major platforms and YouTube, like, download, subscribe, and share. And now, pause for a word from our sponsors. From new patients faced with an empty lobby and no idea where to find their therapist to clinicians with a session running overtime and the doorbell ringing, some of the most anxiety-ridden moments of a therapy appointment happen before a session even starts. This episode's sponsor, The Receptionist for iPad, helps you tackle some of that pre-appointment apprehension and anxiety. The Receptionist for iPad is an easy-to-use digital client check-in system that helps your visitors check in securely to their appointments and notify their practitioners of their arrival via SMS, email, or your preferred channel. No more confusion, endless lobby checking, or having clients sign in on paper logbooks. It can even help you upgrade and update your demographic information for your clients as well and even validate parking. Start a 14-day free trial of The Receptionist for iPad by going to thereceptionist.com slash private practice. Make sure to start your trial with that link and you'll also get your first month free if you decide to sign up.